Welcome to the All of Life podcast from Redemption Church Tempe, where we have conversations on faith, culture, theology, and beyond to help us live all of life, all for Jesus. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the All of Life podcast. My name is Warren Williams, and today I'm joined by our co-lead pastor of Redemption Tempe, Josh Butler. Hello. And also our pastor of communities, John Crawford. Hey, hey. So it's good to have you guys on. Um, good today, to be on. Yeah, for sure. So today, guys, where we're going to be going is we're going to be talking about how an understanding of how we are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, and how we bear the likeness of God, how important it is to our faith, and um, how important it will play a role in, in how we treat the different things that we have to deal with in life, like our work, right? Um, how we interact with others, how we approach a lot of the big issues that we see in our culture. Um, the Imago Day is going to be fundamental to how we look at those things. So we're going to be talking about the image of God, and we're going to talk through the different views of the image of God that we see just expressed in church history and um, the different writings of theologians and um, just the, 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 the three kind of pronged view um, that we see um, expressed in, in the different um, writings um, historically. So before we get to that, before we get to a lot of those big ideas, I just want to start at the basics. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I, I said the, I mentioned the image of God. Like, what even is that? What are we even talking about today? Yeah. Um, what is the image of God? Where does it show up in scripture? And then um, we'll talk about, you know, how it's been understood historically. But let's just at the basics. What is it? What is the image of God? Great, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, so the image of God, where does it show up in scripture? Sure. Page one, actually, Genesis one, the opening of the biblical story actually front loads and centers the image of God, which makes this a really significant theme throughout the biblical story. Uh, And what is it? It's some type of capacity uh, for us as human beings to reflect God into his world, to image him or reflect the Mm. character, the nature of God into the world. Now, there have been three ways historically that the image has been understood. And I I found these helpful because usually I found many of us are familiar and assume one view, right? but there's actually a couple of them. And what struck me looking at all three back in the day was going like, oh man, I've been missing out. Like yeah, I've been missing yeah. out on the good. It's kind of like I've been eating one course meal. There's a three course meal right. here, and yeah. I think it's helpful. So I want to talk about these three views. Uh, they they're called the substantive, the functional, and the relational view. Those sound like big heady terms. We'll break them down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, substantive, the functional, relational, and I think it's helpful to think of these three views uh, less as like competing options and more as like a multifaceted diamond. Yeah. Like sides of a mm. diamond, right? Like the image of God is like this diamond with many facets to it. And these are angles to get us into what is the diamond. Right. right. That's good. Yeah. So let's talk about, kind of break these down. What are they and how do they show up in Genesis 1? So the substantive view, uh, you hear the word substance in there. It's going, hey, the image of God, this view saying it's in the substance of our being. Something within us, uh, our substance, uh, so It's the image is something that we have within us, right? Hmm. The most dominant view of this historically was uh, probably the, the view of reason, that our reason— and I think we see this in Genesis 1, our reason, our capacity to think, think about the world. We see this in Genesis 1 in that God creates humanity different from the animals, like over the animals. And he yeah. calls them to, like, make something of his world, to rule the world. And reason is pretty significant to that, right? Like, we're able to build, you know, eyeglasses and skyscrapers right, in New York City. Art, yeah. Like, yeah, like, 
animals don't do that. Like, we have a capacity reason, yeah. to actually <clears throat> mm-hmm. fulfill the cultural mandate, yep. make some of God's world. And that actually reflects something of God, who is the mastermind behind all creation, right? right? Yeah. Or God as creator is a front-loaded theme. Genesis 1, God introduced himself as with creativity, right? Like, he doesn't make a world that's stick figures in a black-and-white landscape. Like, right. he makes form and color, all these things. That one of the ways we can reflect God into his world is with creativity and imagination, making things that weren't there before and, and all that. Um, but some people struggle with that. One challenge to this view is going, okay, well, if it's reason mm. or creativity, then what if you are mentally disabled? Let's right. say you're in a car accident yeah, right. and your IQ's damaged, yeah. then do you not have the image of God within you? Well, no. A little bit later in Genesis 9, we see God deal with us. He says, hey, uh, the reason murder is so bad is because you kill anyone, they're made in the image of God. And it applies yeah. it to all humanity. So yeah. someone said, hey, the image of God is there's a basic dignity that all people have and that, that all people share just to being human. The image of God is a kind of a dignity that we have. Uh, so we could talk about the the, 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 the functional and the relational yeah. in a minute, but I'm curious the substantive. Yes, yeah, so that's that's kind of the idea there. I'm curious your guys' thoughts. Does that, does that make sense? Ring, yeah. ring a bell? I mean, I, I think I think it's it's so good to to see, to understand, to unpack this um, at the beginning of the biblical story, um, because there is something, the, the word that you just used, Josh, just dignity of, uh, for us as humans, even right now, culturally, there there's so much emphasis on human rights, right? Universal rights. Well, where does that come from? And is it just to uh, a certain subset of people or is it to those who are terminally ill, those who have mental illness, those who are born with disabilities? And so I think this is pertinent for us to understand that we all are made in the image of God. And exactly like what you just referenced in Genesis 9 even about, man, the reason why murder is wrong is because you're taking the life of an image bearer and that every single one of us are made in in God's image or like mirrors, right? To, to reflect, reflect him yeah. and we reflect him. And that means regardless of if it's a cognitive disability or if it's a, a physical disability or if you have terminal illness, you still are a mirror to reflect the very image of God, meaning you have dignity. Your life has value. And that's the thing that Christianity from the very beginning, Christianity is what has created this idea of universal (laughs) rights. So it's, it is founded on what we believe. And exactly what you just said is it's on the first page of the Bible. Yeah. It's so interesting. I feel like, you know, we take for granted today, say human rights in Western culture is just like, oh yeah, that's just something we all have. And why do we have it? We just do, you know, and everyone assumes that. But you go back historically, nowhere in history, like nobody believed that. Right? Yeah, that's right. And, and the place that there's a scholar named Nicholas Wolterstorff uh, who uh, wrote a fascinating book called Justice, uh, Rights and Wrongs. It's been a while. I think that was the name of it. But anyways, Wolterstorff's a philosopher, but he traces the idea of where did human rights come from? And he and others, and like the scholarly tradition, another great new book called Dominion uh, that hmm. came out by a famous historian out in, in the UK, uh, famously traces this theme, but going like human rights is one of those things that it's come into our culture through the Jewish and Christian tradition, rooted yeah. in the image of God. And God, the dignity that we have as image bearers and God's love for us is actually the legal foundation in the Middle Ages from which human rights developed mm. and grew out of. And so the irony today is often like, you know, uh, the claim would be we're still living off that borrowed capital of our history, 
But wow. we've cut ourselves off from the roots. Right. From which mm. came. And so there's a concern of going, man, is it going to sustain? You know, like, yeah. Uh, you look at many places around the world that don't believe in human rights. And today it's even legally getting pressed like, well, why in international law? You know, why, yeah. why should we hold human rights? And they're having a hard time backing it up because yeah. Yeah. We, we cut ourselves we off from the, why. the foundation yeah. and the roots. That's you know? right. Yeah. And one of the things that I've um, heard that it's like really always resonated with me um, was, you know, in our country, we had the civil rights era, right? Mm. And I think that word, you know, civil rights, I think we all know, kind of know what that means. But really what we're looking at is like a human dignity image of God um, yes. movement, right? Where yes. people are saying, because we are made just like you in the image of God, that there yes. are rights that are like indelible to us, that are innate in us, that are not being respected, that are not being honored. Yeah. Totally. And so even like with, you know, our current conversation yeah. right, around race and justice, how does how does this view um, implicate that current conversation? I know we've kind of talked on it, but like, yeah, if there, is there direct things that we can draw out from this view um, on that into that conversation? Totally, man. I mean, you look historically, maybe we just kind of start historically for Israel in Israel's law, their mm-hmm. legal code for the nation as a whole uh, that God had given them. God gave Israel a law essentially said, you need to treat others like image bearers. Yeah. Don't treat people like they did when they were slaves, you know, when you were slaves in Egypt. Don't treat people how you were treated when you were slaves right. in Egypt. And so you need to treat people like image bearers. And with a particular concern for those who were at risk or more vulnerable to being mistreated, you know? So uh, then you go through church history. And because of the image God, you read through the early church, the Middle Ages, the modern era, like, Christians who took their Bibles most seriously mm-hmm. said, we need to have a particular eye out for, uh, yes, everyone's life is bears dignity, important to God, and yet that bears a special importance if there are those in our society who are more at risk of being mistreated or uh, are more uh, vulnerable to mistreatment and all. And so you look at that today, and as the people of God, <laughs> we should be concerned— First and foremost, within the church, as the people of God, right. are there people in our midst, in our churches that we're dreaming street? Yeah. And then for our society as a whole, like, dude, how can we advocate for um, a, a more just society where, uh, wherever, whether because of race or class or creed or sex or gender, wherever um, area that if there are people who are more at risk of discrimination or mistreatment or um, being treated as something less than or other than image bearers, like that's an assault on God's imprint upon humanity. And as a Mm. church and as a society, we begin to come under judgment if we don't take that seriously. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I, man, I agree with everything you said, Josh. (laughs) It's that I feel like with this too, you know, it's just, it's important when you, when you have a conversation around race and justice, where you see some of the most horrific atrocities throughout world history, it's because the image of God has not been recognized and upheld. Right. And so even if you take the, the conversation about race, racism, slavery in our country, the very reason why this happened was because slaveholders argued that Africans were less than human. Yeah that they did not have the same dignity, that they were somehow not of the same humanity as the slaveholders. And so therefore you built an entire system off of a disbelief in the image of God. And it's not even just with with uh, slavery and, and racism specifically, but we see it. I mean, that's what happened in Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany, with, eugenics, yeah, right? Like I, these different. It's what happened yeah. in Rwanda with the genocide of the yeah. of the uh, 
uh, Hutus and the Tutsis right. of, uh, you know, uh, an entire group of people being said that you're a, you're cockroaches, right? right? And it right. leads to this genocide. And we see it play out in, with uh, Lenin and Red Terror and all of that is like, dude, the, yeah. the roots of all of these things is related to what we believe about the image of God. Yeah. And so I think it's massively important, especially in our conversations around race and justice today. So good. So good. So I feel like that view, their first view, the substance, the substance, I can't even say it, right? But the substance yeah, it's view gonna, yeah. that we have of the image of God, I feel like that is probably the most commonly mm-hmm. known. Yes. Um, so that's like probably what all of us kind of just understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe from church or just seeing it in society, we get that. But these next couple of views are maybe a little bit more unfamiliar. Yes. Um, so the next view um, that we mentioned um, is uh, the functional view. Yeah. Right, and so this view that looks at like how God's image is is expressed and how like human beings have dominion over creation, right? Yeah, the created order. Tell us more, Josh, about like this functional view of the image of God and mm. how do we see it um, play out in Scripture? Where do we see it in Scripture? Great, no, that's great. So the functional view, uh, if the if the substance of view is saying, hey, it's something we have. The functional view is saying it's something that we do. Like the image is something that we we do in the world. And this comes from, as God is introducing the image of God, he says, let's make the atom in our image, humanity in our image, uh, so that they may rule. Like let them rule is kind of the context, right? And and uh, and this view takes into, takes into consideration the historical context in the ancient Near East of uh, what it meant to be in the image of God. So yeah. countries around it, Israel wasn't the only— you know, nation that believed in the image of God. Like, the language was used all around the ancient world. In their Babylon, ancient neighbors. right? Mesopotamia, they had that same sort of totally. uh, language with their kings, right? Totally. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's the thing is it applied only to the king. Right. Yeah. Like, it was Pharaoh was made in the image of God. You were not. Caesar was made in the image of God. You were not. Yeah. And what it meant was you had a legitimate right as the representative for God or the gods to rule on their behalf. Like, so being made in the image of the gods basically meant— that, hey, I'm the king, I have divine right to rule over my country, right? Yeah. And what these kings would do is they would create images of themselves, like statues, and they would place them throughout the empire, throughout their kingdom, right? And so if you're Joe Schmo, you're walking through the land, every time you saw that temp- that, that, that image, that statue, you'd go, ah, that's an image of the God, it's an image of the king who is an image of the God, right? Mm, yeah. And so the images of the gods were like these statues throughout the land that represented the king or the ruler who had this divine right to rule. Mm. Now, what's so shocking about Genesis here is that he's saying, let them, all humanity, the humanity he's about to create, right? Yeah. And scholars uh, say like, they, they call this like a revolution. This mm. was a This was a revolution in the ancient world. And this was that that sense, kind of from another angle again, that all humanity is royalty. Yeah. All humanity has been given a vocation or a call to steward the earth, to cultivate God's creation, to rule, right? Hmm. And I feel like we're getting a little closer here to some of the heart of the image, is that God has a project for humanity to, to rule here. You think about rule in Genesis 1, and I think we can today think of that as like, domination or exploitation, or I get to be in charge, you know, kind of thing. And I mean, there's there's a sense of, like, ownership, responsibility, and, and, and those kind of things. But 
we're talking about gardening. Agricultural society. There's what in the reform traditions, we're reformed in, the, in our reform tradition, we often call like the cultural mandate. Cultural that there's yeah. this call to uh, unpack the earth, like to yeah. actually bring forth yeah. the culture from the garden of creation, that the garden is going to become a city, and yeah. we're, we're partners with God in ruling his earth, stewarding his creation, bringing forth its riches to bring forth culture. And Genesis 1 is saying all humanity is royalty that's been given that call to partner with God. This is royal priesthood mediating his you know, um, presence in the earth by helping to turn the garden into a temple, you know, the, yeah. a place yeah. fit for God's presence together with his people. Dude, that's great. And there's, I feel like there's so many implications for that. Yeah. Let's e- get into some of that. Like, what, what Even just... on like, you, you use the word vocation, vocation right? Yeah. Like and, and royalty. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, so much of our all of life ethos about what we believe and pressing into faith and work with our all of life interviews that I'm sure many of you have, have seen those, heard those before in the life of our church. But this is really where it comes from, right? right? This cultural mandate about why work is good is that we are made in the image of God and God has commissioned us and given us this cultural mandate to steward his creation, to rule and to reign and to be co-creators. And, you know, it's like Jim, you know, Jim Mullins obviously always, you know, using all sorts of examples, but I think about, I'm looking at all of us right now, we got microphones in front of us, <laughs> iPhones <laughs> on the table, <laughs> computers, right. like, in Genesis 1, God could have made these things fall yeah, from the sky. Said, exactly. But instead, he buried the potential for these things, and he hid them in creation, and then commissions us and makes us in his image to then go and ultimately unearth these things, to cultivate the potential of these things. And now we've got phones and computers and tables and eyeglasses, microphones, right. all these things— and so I think that there's a lot to be said on on vocation. I'd love to hear you guys yeah. as well, just on this vocation piece here. Yeah, I think it breaks down like the sacred-secular dichotomy or divide yes. going, okay, the image is what I do at church on Sunday or the image of God is what I do with my neighbors and my personal life, whatever, going, no, dude, you're spending 40, 50 plus hours a week right at your job. Right. Yeah, That's actually a place that you image God, you know, right. like, Maybe not if you're in the mafia or I don't know, dude, but yeah. like, like, or at least yeah. you're not imaging God well there. Right. But like going like, dude, <laughs> like, let's say, let's say you're a mechanic and you're changing tires, you know, and you just go, ah, oh, this, this isn't, this isn't holy work. This isn't yeah. like, no, dude, like that's actually a part of, for a flourishing society. I don't, I, well, I, I do know how to change my tire, but I suck at it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. I'm saying this because I had to go to uh, the tire shop on Sunday, right? Yeah. And I'm like. Dude, I'm like, hey, I, I need my alignment checked. And my, you know, threads one thing. Like stuff I don't know how to do, but they have a specialty skill set from stuff that's been developed from creation that actually, like that's helping, that's not just a paycheck, that's actually helping society flourish. That's helping totally, me right. as a neighbor that they may not know, but you know, I'm a neighbor and they're helping me be able to get my kids to school this morning, be able to get here and be part of this. And, you know, so like our jobs, our work is a part of cultivating creation and the flourishing of humanity and like being a community. And those aren't just like separate from a life with God. Those are ways that we're called to image. Yeah. God. yeah. I think, I think like, this view has probably been the most impactful on me um, in most recent years. You know, I remember a conversation I had with a friend around my work um, when I was working uh, for a trucking company and helping to coordinate shipments around the country of food. I remember they asked me, um, and this person was like, they were so passionate about what they're doing. Mm. I, I remember just responding to, I was like, it's just a job. 
it's just a means to an end. Um, you know, it's just a way that we can, you know, I can support myself. I, you know, it's, it doesn't really have any sort of great or grand importance. And, you know, viewing things this way, like, you know, like what John talked about, even how we frame a lot of the things and help people to rethink what the, the work that they're doing in our all of life interviews. It's like, I wasn't just moving trucks around a map, yeah. right? Like I was reflecting God's character as a provider, right? How he totally. provides for us and provides our daily bread on our tables. I was doing that through my work. And so yeah. um, I think this this view is, uh, is, is just extremely important, and especially like we've talked about, just when you think about your work, because I think it's so easy um, for just us to uh, com- compartmentalize a lot of our times our faith and not see, you know, how our what we're doing each day, what we're doing for 40 hours a week, how it truly reflects um, the uh, aspects of God's character. The other, the other thing on that too, that on work is— this is Genesis 1 and what Josh just talked about yeah. here. This is before sin has entered the world. Right. And so I think a lot of, when we talk about vocation, I mean, how many of us are like, I work so I can live. Right. Right. Like, right. like work sucks. Right. You know, exactly. the only reason why I work means is so I can, yeah, yeah, it's a means to an means end. To Give an me end. a paycheck. Right. But what we see here is like the human vocation. God was a worker made us in his image. Like work is good before sin enters the world. And it has intrinsic value, which means what Josh just said about, man, there's this sacred secular divide that doesn't exist, exist. but also like God made you to work, you know, and you're imaging him um, and you're being a co-creator in this cultural mandate as you work. And so work is good and we were created to work. Hopefully that's really encouraging for you if you're working right now. Yeah. <laughs> a little boost to your day. Um, you know, another aspect uh, of creation, I think, or um, just the image of God that we see that's really cared for in this view is just even like the care for creation, right? The care for the yeah. environment that, um, you know, when we talk about rule, it doesn't mean exploiting the environment um, for our own purposes, but actually like caring. So like there's like ecological, like totally. ecological sort of implications in this view as well. So that's good. Um, I think that's, that was extremely helpful. And um, hopefully um, if you didn't know about the functional view of God, that that helped, that gave you a a kind of foundational understanding. So let's move into the third view. Great. uh, The relational view. Relational view. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, this view talks about how the image of God is expressed and how we relate to him and others. But yeah, Josh, would you walk us through? um, Totally. So relational view. So if the substance of you is saying the image is something we have, Hmm. Functional view is saying, hey, it's something that we do. The yeah. relational view is going, it's someone that we are, mm-hmm. that we are made relationally by a relational God. And where do we see this in Genesis? I'd say this is at the heart of the image, right? So mm-hmm. uh, when we look at Genesis 1, uh, Genesis 1.27 is the, it's a poem, and it's three-line poem, and it's the climax of Genesis 1, right? So the substance of you, let's say like reason, you know, we're different from the animals, all that, that's kind of like the bigger context of we're different than the animals, you know, all that. Then you move a little closer to Genesis 126, like letting them rule and uh, vocation, those kind of things is like God's kind of setting up the poem. But then in the heart of the poem itself, the image of God poem, and for Scripture like this, Genesis 1, ancient Hebrew poetry or passages like this, to put a poem right here, it's saying that this is the climax of the passage. Mm. Like Genesis 1 has all been building towards this. You'll see this in Genesis 2 as well. The whole story, the narrative builds towards a poem at the end. And it's kind of going, hey, pay attention. This is kind of the point, right? So let's look at this poem. We're going to go kind of a little theology nerd here for a minute, a little geeky, right? But (laughs) it's it's worth it. Believe me, it'll pay off. So Genesis 1, 27— 
three-line poem, line one. So God created the Adam in his own image. Now, most of our English translations is going to say God created man or mankind, that kind of thing. Um, in Hebrew, it's ha-adam. God is creating the Adam in mm. his image, which is interesting because what it's saying is it's corporate humanity. Like God is creating all humanity in his image. Now, the next two lines uh, are going to unpack, and he referred to you kind of line one is your big idea, yeah. and then line two and three in a poem like this are expounding on what's uh, on that big idea. So God creates the Adam, or humanity, uh, mankind in his image. Then line two, in the image of God, he created him. Line th- three, male and female, he created them. Mm-hmm. And what we see is that line two says it emphasizes the unity of humanity. In the image of God, he created him. Now, we hear that word him, we're thinking like, okay, he just creates the dude, or right? right? But <laughs> yeah. in Hebrew, it's more, it, it's it's a corporate pronoun, right? It's referring to humanity, but as one thing, right? Like mm. the human social body as one thing. Like we are one, we are, we are humanity. And then line, t- line three says, male and female, he created them. Mm. And it's a plural, right? And so what is embedded in the heart of this poem is diversity in union. That mm. God creates one humanity that has a unity together as humanity and a diversity uh, as male and female is kind of seen as like the core diversity running through the human race, right? Mm. So we are one and we are many. And it's interesting, like, so Karl Barth often considered like the most significant Protestant theologian of the 20th mm. century and Pope John Paul II, like the most significant Catholic thinker on marriage, uh, like issues of the sexuality and the body, yeah. they both agreed on this. They said at the heart of the image of God, communion of persons mm. is the image of God. That we are not separate individuals like billiard balls all bouncing around against each other on our own. And we're also not just cogs in the machine. Like we are made as a communion of persons, mm. diversity and union to reflect triune God. God's created us to reflect his image and our very relational nature within the fabric of our humanity. Mm-hmm. And that is, dude, I, I mean, I just think that's, that's, that's so powerful. Like right. we are made relationally by a relational God. Yeah. One, one, one note I hear too, it's, it's interesting. Like when you read in the early church, when they talked about the image of God, there's there's an interesting study by this guy, Henry de Lubach, a famous study back in the 1920s, this theologian, but he was studying the, the patristics, like the early church fathers. How did they understand the image of God? And what he realized was when we talk about the image of God today, we primarily talk about it as an individual thing. Like yeah. You have the image, you have the image, yeah. have the image right? right? Totally. Because when the early church talked about it, they primarily talked about a corporate thing, right? Mm. And we are all created in Adam. You see this image a lot in the New Testament, like we're created in Adam. Yeah. And so the idea that you see a lot in the church fathers is— humanity was created to together, corporately, collectively, together reflect the image of God into his world as a united social body, Mm. then what sin has done is it has fractured the image of God. It has torn apart humanity. It has ripped apart human social body into warring, divided nations, competition, and conflict, and hostility, and all that. And so what Jesus is doing through his crucifixion and resurrection is he is bringing the family back together, right? Like he yeah. is restoring the human social body. What was torn apart to dissolution and death in Adam, Jesus is reconciling and reuniting and restoring. Jesus is the image of God as an individual, the, the true, full, like he yeah. properly and yep. accurately reflects God into the world. And he is reuniting and reconciling and restoring us in him as the image of God, as a united, one body, one church that 
we would be one as he and the Father are one. Mm. Um, and that our diversity and union being one body with many parts as the church, one kingdom of every nation, tribe, and tongue, uh, one spirit animated in us, like animate, but through a diversity of gifts, like God's spirit, yeah. like that that is us becoming as the church a reflection of the triune God, like a more accurate reflection of the God who Man, is. Man, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, Josh, thanks for hitting on too in, in the midst of all the gems you just dropped on us. Um, just the, the, the answering the question, hey, does sin distort or diminish the image of God, right? Because that seems to be like one of the points of contention where different theologians landed differently, like um, just kind of on whether sin does or does not um, reduce, you know, the image of God or dim it, you know, in some ways. So I think that's a, that was really helpful. Um, and also just your point, like on diversity of union, I've heard you talk about this and it's great. You have so much great stuff yeah. on that. But like when we think about that in terms of like some of the, probably one of the biggest issues of our day is around like topics of sex and mm-hmm. gender. Yeah. Right? Like mm-hmm. how does that, Great. How does this view kind of Great. speak into those issues? And especially as you think about, or, or as you talked about, like diversity of union, yeah. how do we see that play out yes. um, and implicate these, these issues that Great. sex and gender? Genesis 1 is telling us, we fear, that sexual difference as male and female is the deepest core diversity running through the heart of the human race. And that mm. actually reflects something of the diversity and union of God, I believe, right? Uh, now, it's interesting uh, dude, we're diverse in all sorts of ways, right? right? Like, dude, yeah. I like tacos. You said you like yeah. tacos, chihuahuas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, you know, <laughs> John, you got your favorite taco place. We yeah. like our favorite taco place. We like different types of music. Uh, in the, you know, so there are some we have diversity of preferences. Right. Uh, then there are some more that are maybe closer to who, like maybe our ethnicity or language or tradition. You know, those, those are more embedded who we are. Uh, but I believe we see here like the deepest core diversity running through the human race is male and female. Mm. And let me try and unpack that because we're going to see that in Genesis 2. I would say what Genesis 2 is doing after this is it's taking this Genesis 1 poem, the image of God poem, and it's blowing mm. it up and expanding it mm. to give us the narrative, make sense of it, right? So if yeah. you remember Genesis 2, what does God do? He takes the Adam, yep. puts him to sleep, pulls a woman from his side. And uh, and then they wake and they they come together and this together. is how families are going to be formed, how right. kids are going to come into the world, how they're going to be fruitful, multiply, all that, right? Yeah. Um, but here's the point. Here's a question I'd love to ask: Is why did God create Adam and Eve differently? Like not only like anatomically different, that kind of thing, but like using a different method. Like He makes Adam from the ground, right? Yeah. But He makes Eve from Adam. Yeah. From Adam. Why yeah. does He do that? Well, the reason is because uh, the unity of humanity. Like, we're not created as separate individuals. He creates the one. He pulls the second from the one. You know, he, make, it, yeah, he turns yeah. the one into two, diversity. Yeah. Then these two are going to come back into union as one, and they're going to bring forth a Procreate, third. Procreate, yeah. A third, right? A you know, third, yeah. the triune image. Like, right. many of our, like, the family is the yeah. triune image, the image of the Trinity, of the triune God. That's that it's good. through sexual union that when the two become one flesh, like in marriage and in sexual union together, like, this is the means from which the one becomes three, in a sense, right? That the one life wow. together, uh, the the beloved proceeds from the lover and the love of their child like emerges as a concrete person between them. I'm getting abstract here, yeah. but <laughs> let, me, let me just, yeah, to, to try and bring it home is just to say that um, sexual difference is how you and I have come to exist. Like it has been mm. the vehicle and means of our creation. And so, uh, and one of the implications of sexual union 
is that you and I are relationally made beings. Like, not just as like a cute concept, but going like, you wouldn't exist outside of the union of your parents, right? The yeah, two, right. however you came to the world, like. And no one can, yeah. no one can argue that, right? Yeah, <laughs> no one can argue that, right? Like, it's the vehicle for existence. And so, sexual, yeah. so sexual ethics, I think, are so significant. We talk about things like sexual ethics, but one of the reasons it's so significant is because uh, the image of God is sexual in nature. Yeah. It's not all it is, but that's a part of it. You're being, yeah. uh, it doesn't mean you have to, you know, and, and that gets us in complicated questions of like, uh, man, uh, intersex conditions right. and gender dysphoria and things like that that are really important. Um, but basic claim, I think, yeah. we'll, we'll do other podcasts on yeah, that. I think it, but basic yeah. claim for this is just going like, it's how you exist. Yep. Yeah. Like, yep. Yeah. Even if you... You don't have to have sex to bear the image, and yet you only bear the image because others have had sex. And that part, as a child, a son or a daughter, yeah. or whatever, like that reflects your relational being, and that's like it, flex, it reflects something of the triune relational God who's brought us into existence through this image-bearing nature of the family. That's great. It's beautiful. Yeah, you it's know, beautiful man. Um, Josh and I've always loved um, your image of a like, or just you know the, what we see that the the beauty of diversity and union. And I always think like, I'm, I remember we had this conversation maybe a couple of years ago, and like you've just brought up ways that we just we we feel that innately, mm-hmm. right? Like when we see the sun um, and the 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 day and the night come together at the sunset, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we we see the beauty of diversity and union when mm-hmm. we're standing on a beach and the water is like at the sand and earth and sea are uh, meeting up mm-hmm. together. Like we see the beauty of diversity in you and it's like all mm. around us. Yes. Um, and so, uh, mm. yeah, that's, that's, I know there's a lot, there was a lot there and these are like real big, heavy topics. And I think to give them the, the respect and time that they need, we'd probably need to do 15 yeah. other podcasts. Yeah, totally. Um, but that was really helpful in just giving us a foundational view about how, um, this, um, view of the image of God, how it implicates. Yeah. Um, well, you, yeah. John, you brought up earlier too, there's a quote you had, because I think we talk about sexual ethics right. and bringing together sort of like the significance of that and even like the dignity of the human being. Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, you, you had yeah, some, what you was had that quote. quote? Yeah, yeah the, uh, so it, it's uh, Peter Singer. And uh, just this, this quote, what he says, really kind of illustrates uh, the importance of what we're talking about, about the Imago Dei, the image of God. And Peter Singer argues, uh, he says that the life of a newborn baby, right, which we would say is made in the image of God, exactly what Josh just said, the life of a newborn baby has less value than the life of a pig, a dog, or a chimpanzee. And from that, he actually is arguing for uh, humans and specifically newborn babies being used as— in medical experiments instead of animals, because he says that animals have a higher cognitive functioning than a newborn baby. True. And so when you, when you see that, um, man, you, you start to say like, even if some of this seems abstract, there are people in our world that are arguing against the very image of God. Um, and another, uh, another bioethicist that, uh, named Daniel Callahan, he, he also says that when someone loses their capacity to reason or have emotions, they can no longer be called a person, that they're no longer a person anymore. And he even makes the bold claim that sanctity of life no longer applies to that person. Wow. Wow. And these are like, 
influential philosophers, like kind of folks who would be seen as kind of ahead of the time, prestigious universities, yeah, things like totally. that, who are kind of pushing the curve. And what's interesting to me about that, like that's a direct affront on the image of God from multiple angles. We see there one, like abortion, and right. then these more extreme. Now he's even going like, hey, outside of the womb, uh, not only within, but outside, but even within the womb, abortion culture is going like, dude, you don't have dignity until you earn your personhood. Right. Totally. You, know, you got to earn your personhood by getting out of that belly. For, you know, like, yeah, that's right. Or now he's going, well, even when you exit the belly, yeah. I remember reading the, the article, like he's going like, no, you still haven't earned your personhood until right. you meet a certain degree of rationality or IQ. And that hits on the image of God we talked about from a couple of angles. One is abortion culture is confronting the dignity of the image that we see in the substance of you going, no, it's in your humanity. You don't have to earn it. It's something you've yeah. been given. Mm-hmm. And the substance, even in the like mm-hmm. from conception, like in the in the womb, like you've received it in your humanity right. as a gift of God that you bear dignity before you can even speak a word, before right. you yeah. can earn it. You yeah. Know? Um, but it also confronts, I think, the third view, the relational one of going, like, dude, what Singer's saying, and I'd say what more one of the things I, I claims I would make with uh, the ideology or logic of abortion is. Um, it's works religion. Like you got to earn your personhood. Yeah. You got to be oh, born wow. first or now seniors, you got to wow. meet a certain level of IQ. And what the relational view is saying is, no, your personhood is given to you from God. It's given mm. to you from outside of yourself. It's received yeah. as a gift, as grace through the union of mm. those who came before you. You know, yeah. like, like it's actually something which I think has massive implications for going, I don't need to go out and prove myself to the world or create something in order to be worthwhile or valuable. Like, I have value because God's brought me forth into existence as sheer gift, grace. Yeah. 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 I think in, you know, John, I, I loved your quote earlier about like this, these things that we're talking about when the human, when the um, image of God is violated, like we're not talking about a theoretical thing that happens. We're talking about actual lives and atrocities. Yeah. The worst things happen. in the, the world. The worst things in our history all stem from this uh, this violation or um, ign- ignoring, ignorance of like the, uh, p- a, per- a person's value, a person's, the fact that a person is made in the image of God. So it is really an important thing that we understand. Um, and so I think all these views, all three of these views, they have their like strengths and weaknesses in scripture. But I think Josh, what you said at the beginning here is that we don't have to look at them as like separate views, but that they're all working as a, this part of a, a diamond that all work together well. And so um, before we wrap up today, are there any final sort of words you have um, that you'd want people to walk away with from this conversation um, about the image of God? Yeah, man. I, I just say this. I'd say to, to anyone listening, going like, dude, the image of God, what does it mean for you? It means like, dude, the image is something you have right. just yeah. because you're human. Dude, like you have a dignity. God has called you. He's brought you, well, he's brought you forth, right? He's, you've been created by his hand. You have dignity as an image bearer. So the image of God is something that you have. It's also something that you're called to do, like to actually reflect him into the world through your vocation, through your family, through your life with your neighbors, like that our character would reflect him through what we do and how we live, you know? And finally though, that it's also someone that you are, you know, like Mm. the image of God is you are a relational being made for community within uh, humanity, your family, all that, but at a deeper level, like part of the identity of the church, Jesus wants to restore you into the relation, healthy relationships healthy that relationship. are rooted in God and love, love of God and love of one another, bringing you back into the union that you were made for as part of this communion of humanity that reflects the eternal love of the triune God. Thanks, Josh. It's good. 
Good to be good to be on here with you guys, man. <laughs> man talking about the image of God Absolutely. and uh, and also hearing from Josh because uh, Josh has been you've been doing a lot on this with writing. So uh, it's great to have you share some of this with us, man. Yeah, we can't wait to to, to read your book on all this. Um, we know that you're you're working hard on it, so um, we're we're all looking forward to reading it, Josh. Thanks, man. And so yeah, I think the image of God is wrapped up really well in what we say often in our church here, and also. Uh, what this the name of this podcast kind of <laughs> shares the name it's like all of life is all for Jesus right um the way that we care for each part of our life um reflects um it falls under Jesus's lordship and it reflects that uh God is reflected in some way in in in, in, in the, whatever aspect of work of our relationships of you know any sort of the big issues of life that God's image matters to those things and so um, guys, we are so grateful that you tuned in today. Um, we're looking forward to talking to you again soon, and uh, thank you for listening. And thanks, Josh and John. All right, so, <laughs> folks, um, as has been like a tradition on this podcast, after the mics go off is some of when, like, the best content comes <laughs> out. And so we had we just had one of those moments, and we were like, man, this is too good um, for us not to include this in, in on this episode. Yeah. So, Josh, um, you had some additional thoughts on the substantive uh, view of— um, the image of God. Can you share some of those now? That we, yeah, totally, man. Yeah. So the functional view, actually, yeah. Oh, so if you oh, remember, yeah. no, no, that's great. Yeah. This is the one where in the ancient Near East, the context. You think about Israel's world back then, where these kings of the surrounding nations, they would put these statues of themselves all over their kingdom, mm. and these were like their images, the images that represented them. And so, in your world, like mm. the king puts statues of themselves throughout the land right. to represent them in their kingdom. And then you think of Genesis 1, it's saying, dude, that, that's what God is doing. God is the king who is placing us, but like living statues throughout the land to yeah. represent him and his wow. kingdom. Only their statues are made of wood and stone. God's statues are made of flesh and bone. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like we are, we are the living statues that God has made, so to speak. Like mm. we're alive and he's called us to represent, to bear his image, to, to represent his reign and rule. And one of the other things, I think this helps us understand why idolatry is so heinous and significant. We are not to make images of God because we are images, images. of wow. God, yeah. right? Like, yeah. like one of the crazy things is the word idol and image in Hebrew, it's actually the same word, salem. Like you don't have one word for an image, it's just the word salem. And so God makes idols, so to speak, right? Like, like God makes salem, he makes images of himself only again, not of wood and stone, but of flesh, flesh and bone. And bone. Oh, in the man. Land. And so one of the reasons that we're not to make idols is it degrades our humanity. Like right. it actually is giving over something that God has called us to do to this little chunk of bark or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, a little yeah, rock right. chisels, you know, Clay like, which is no good. <laughs> and so this is crazy, though, because I think it sets up this theme that you're going to see traced throughout Scripture that uh, when God redeems his people Exodus— their primary calling, he says in Exodus 19, is to be a kingdom of priests. And what that is, is they're to mediate God's kingdom into the world. He's restoring them as image bearers. This vocation that's been, um, it's not like people aren't image bearers anymore. You know, it's not like the, cause, the image has been demolished, but it has been corrupted and fractured and broken, and it's not yeah. working right. And so God is at work throughout the biblical story to restore the image yeah. in us, to bring us back to being a kingdom of priests, people who mediate and represent his reign and his rule into the land as his salem, his, the image of the living statues that God has made. 
And so that was just uh, man, it was so a, good. Yeah, some additional conversation we were having after the pot, um, after we finished recording, and we were like, man, this is so good. Uh, we we just have to get this in. So Josh, thanks for that. Um, and this time, guys, we mean it. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the All of Life podcast. To get more information on Redemption Church Tempe, you can download the Redemption Tempe app, or you can send an email to tempe at redemptionaz.com.